Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 23, the review segment for Friday, May 23rd, 2014. It's not often that our episode numbers sync up with the date. So that's exciting. (laughs) No one noticed. (laughs) It's almost as exciting as X-Men Days of Future Past, which we'll be reviewing. It has a lot of mutants in it. I ran into Dave after the screening and had him explain to me about half the mutants in the movie after the screening. So I may ask him to do the same thing in this. But it's got Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, which you would think would be all that you could possibly need for a movie that you would like. And yet I left this movie disappointed. But I don't know how it would feel for someone who very well remembers X1 through X3. I never saw X-Men The Last Stand, so I felt a little lost in this, although I don't feel like that's entirely fair. Dave, when I was talking to you on the subway after this movie, I didn't really get a good sense of whether or not you liked it that much, you were basically just answering my demanding questions about not understanding. <laughs> Dave does not have on. objective, or he does not have subjective opinions. He has objective opinions based on 60 years of X-Men comic books. That is exactly what he was telling me. So, Dave, <laughs> if you, I mean, Dave, as a person who has read 60 years of X-Men comic books, do you think this is a good movie? Um... That's difficult. The reason it's <laughs> difficult is because, like, the more time I've spent with this movie, the more time I realize that the three superhero franchise movies that we've gotten so far this year have been much more concerned about the state of their franchises than they have been about the state of their central characters, which is fine if you're a comic book fan like me because I'm sort of just there to see things that I already know sort of being brought to the screen. And X-Men Days of Future Past definitely has that but then they also try to take a hard left turn with their franchise so a lot of the marketing is talking about the old x1 through x3 cast and there's definitely some storylines and conclusions from things that were left in those movies way back at the beginning of the century i like that we get to say that into we can get into in spoilers right Well, I mean, I'm talking about even from where characters are since we last saw them. Like, a lot of the weird things, that's the weird thing that uh, ultimately about X-Men Days of Future Past, which is why it's hard for me to get a beat on it, is because it's... It depends on you having a working knowledge of the previous X-Men movies as much as a comic book would have you have a working knowledge of the characters by the time you get to it. So let's talk a little bit about the story before we get way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we pick up in the future. We don't know if it's a future after what sort of movies, but we know that Ian No McKellen one's thinking is there. that. No one is thinking that when they go into this movie. It's just the, future, it's the future and the X-Men are here. Who no no one cares what happened before or after. No one cares about the world. Don't you Which think? Which is something that I would like to quibble with. That's all this movie really has to offer, Patches, so why don't you let me explain? <laughs> all right, fair <laughs> enough. We're in a future where mutants are being rounded up into camps, and these super sentinels that can adapt to everybody's mutant power are slowly killing off mutants, and then also people who may eventually have mutants way in the genetic future. It's a horrible dystopian future. Some of our X-Men cast from the original X-Men movies has survived, and they have found a way to travel back in time through a weird Kitty Pride power that just sort of suddenly exists now. Yeah. No explanation and, needed. She can do it. She can send so you back in time through that. your mind if you existed whenever you want to go back. That is good for me to know as someone who never saw X3. I did not know if that was something I was supposed to be aware of. Correct. So they send Wolverine back because his mind can heal as fast as this incredibly psychically traumatic process apparently is. Which I did believe in. I, I, I got that part. Yeah. They send him back to the early 70s to stop Mystique from executing Boulevard Trask, who is uh, Peter Dinklage, uh, because his execution causes the government to double down on Trask's Sentinel program, which eventually, with the combination of Mystique's blood, creates these super sentinels that cause the mutant genocide aside in the future and so in the future they need to protect wolverine's body while wolverine is in the past and it's not one for one time and basically that allows them to do x4 
and X-Men Business Class, which is what I'll call X-Men First Class. <laughs> at the exact same time, have the climaxes overlap. But would you really say that was X4, given how much they're actually doing in the future? I mean, you, you get Halle, Halle Berry coming back as Storm and having maybe one line of dialogue in the entire thing. If, if that was X4, I would feel robbed. I mean, yes, but this is the culmination of X-Men, X2, X3, uh, The Wolverine, and X-Men First Class. So that's five movies. So it's- They even loop in X-Men Origins Wolverine, I'd say. Uh- I uh, I don't know. I feel like that's more of a callback to X two, what you're alluding to, and which we will probably talk about because it's not a spoiler. But um, this is but not this Wolverine is not X four. This barely touches on what happens in the Wolverine. Uh, I right. mean, true. Here, let me uh, let me come back around to what I was saying about the movie. <laughs> it's weird because Wolverine himself doesn't have any personal stakes in anything that happens. He's essentially oh my god, he's so not important to the movie. It's ins- right. it's astonishing because he is the keystone of this franchise, and yet he basically wheels Professor X, young Professor X, around most of the time. No, excuse me, that's Nicholas Holt's job. Okay, they they both share a handle on Professor X's <laughs> wheelchair from the seventies, um, and Wolverine just flops around on the floor half the time in in the past. Like he really has no purpose other than to be the reason these two eras are bridged. It's it's quite surprising how little he has to do with the movie right because he's the only vestige of the old timeline he's coming hot off the post credit scene of the wolverine which had (laughs) that is the saddest statement of of modern filmmaking he's coming hot off that post credit scene but wolverine had a whole bunch of flashbacks to x3 and x2 to tie it into that so Wolverine's story is the X4. We get to see those characters. Wolverine was always the main person of that. That's fine. He intrudes on what could have been a functional X-Men first class sequel with all of his weird stuff that requires you having a previous attachment to these characters that aren't actually built as much as they're just sort of shown. So the weird thing to me as a comic book reader is I'm not sure if you could treat a film franchise fandom like you treat a comic book fandom where you assume you know where all these people are on a character basis and then allow them to sort of, you know, just sort of hang out in two different time periods while not a whole bunch goes on. Are you saying newbies to the X-Men franchise will have absolutely no idea and have no like avenue to get to this story? There's there's no door opening for them in this one. I mean, that's You're in or you're out. That's if you want it to function as a movie where you see character arcs and how they grow and change, I'm not sure that everybody's character arc is contained in this movie because they literally have to flash back to those other four, maybe five. Well, I don't think there are a lot of character arcs in this movie, and that's what's interesting about it. I, I When I look back to watching this movie, I think not a lot happens. It's quite flat. It's stylistically unimpressive, and yet I enjoyed myself thoroughly because I bring the history of the X-Men franchise to it and finally get to see these guys kind of go on a mission. Uh, I don't think the ending is even that fulfilling. I just like seeing them go to different places and complete different tasks. There's something about that that the rest of the X-Men movies haven't been able to accomplish and just to see either their powers in action or see these characters but heads that that's enough for me in an X-Men movie, which is definitely, I should start calling it an installment. It really isn't a successful movie. Um, they this, no, it, it completely depends on you being aware of what's yes. happening. And as people movies. who have listened to our storytelling podcast way back when from the op Kino days, uh, I do have an investment in X2 and I was actually surprised that I, I felt kind of a close connection to the original trilogy characters, who, as Katie mentioned, are pretty marginalized in this movie. I mean, it's a it's basically cameo-level stuff in the beginning. I mean, spewing exposition in the mm-hmm. most... Uh, it's just... It, this is not Patrick elegant. Stewart is a hero on that level, though, because he can really spew some expo- exposition. Oh, yeah, when you have Shakespearean actors laying down the, the foundation here, at least it's it's watchable, but... And, and and I do think the action scenes in the beginning, in the future, um, are really interesting because of how they pl- they're just going to go balls of the wall, 
you know, one girl can shoot portals, the other guy can shoot energy beams out his hand, this guy can shoot fire, and we're just going to roll him into a big ball and see what happens. Now, none uh, of those people were in X3, right? No, no, except uh, Colossus. Colossus yeah. yeah. Uh, but in, all these people are new. Stone one? He's but, the steel one. Yeah. Oh, there's God. no stone one. There was one. a fire, there was an ice, and there was a steel. There's no, yeah, there's steel. Yes. Not, you said okay, stone. Okay, sorry, I was thinking of just a statue. That's here. Mondo. Yeah. No, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just an excuse to have these powers go flying so that the exposition doesn't really bog us down. And that's the only purpose they serve, to kind of cling to the past and build build an arc out of nothing. I mean, build momentum and stakes out of history as opposed to uh, internalizing it within the movie. And I find, I mean, that's interesting. It's a daring move because it's not going to work for everybody. It's going to feel very vacant for a lot of people. But uh, I guess I'm coming out as, a, as like a true millennial, the worst kind of millennial here who can feel some sort of investment in those original X-Men movies. But I did. I really did. The I'm worst like, millennial. Yeah, the worst kind. Um, but and that worked for me. And not a lot happens in this movie. I'm really like grasping here for for what actually goes down when Wolverine yeah. goes back in time. I mean, they find Quicksilver, which is a fun. They they bust Magneto out of prison. That happens. Nothing happens in this movie. It's a lot of mumbo jumbo about Sentinels and the future. And Mystique is basically the MacGuffin, and they're all cha- they're running in circles. Nothing happens, and yet I'm yeah. still kind of on board watching these guys, these actors, you know yell at each other or try and pull off Ocean's Eleven style stunts and it's it's bullshit but it's entertaining. When you say Ocean's Eleven style stunts let's not confuse people into thinking that they give a lot of great scenes to actors with great chemistry with each other because I'm not sure that that's necessarily <laughs> I think they true. do. I mean, McAvoy and Fassbender get to yeah, that's, go that's, at that's each other. In this movie. That's the together. But and then, but if Jackman seen... actually twists that. I mean, I was talking about how Jackman's on the sidelines for most of this movie, but it's interesting to see him, you know, in the original X Men movies, be this gruff aggressive character who's outside the pack and suddenly he is positioned into this educator role and this fatherly role and that does change things that changes the dynamic between him and professor x mcavoy and magneto seeing the three of them interact uh but again and that's one scene and that's that's what you want to see no it's a couple it's pretty much just the plane that's predicated also on you knowing these people's previous interactions like that's another way this movie even in its dialogue within basically you know every scene every other scene if not every scene well let's agree that people who aren't x-men fans are hopeless here they have no there's no chance of them liking this well, movie. I'd At least we people, have enjoyed some X-Men movies in the past, so there's hope. Even if you've seen X-Men First Class, which, I mean, that was three years ago, so that's, you know, one bar to clear. But Which, not to are, just to speak up for David here, but we all, I mean, we all kind of think that's terrible, right? No, wait, Katie likes what? that movie. No, no, first I, Class is pretty bad. It. Are you kidding? Okay, everyone go listen to our First Class review, and everyone here, <laughs> David being the only one who didn't like I it. I wonder if I defend that movie. Review. I really did I'm not. I'm pretty sure you did. I really no, liked First Class. No, I'm, maybe Maybe in the too. middle, but over time, I have really like rewatching first, portions of First Class. It wow. is a bad movie. It is a sloppy, Weird. sloppy Jesus. movie. Well, sloppy's not bad when we're talking about <laughs> X Men movies. X Men movies are not capable of the complexity of these other superhero movies because they can well, only that's where be I think about you're wrong, a handful I think of things. That's where Days of Future Past does succeed. I'm surprised how coherent it is, um, and maybe this is a testament to Simon Kingberg, who like busted ass trying to break through the logic of this time travel movie, but I think it really works in pacing it back and forth between future and past and trying to make sure that all his the bases are covered and it all makes some sort of sense. At least we buy into all the choices they make time travel wise. I, I, I I'm in the logic of this movie from start to finish. I'm not saying that the logic is unsound. I'm saying all X-Men movies are about they're going to reject us because we're different and what do we do about that? They can't be about other things, which is why I like First Class so much because they did that through a lens of essentially like a 60s James Bond film. And this one, the period stuff, you know, looks great. And I get the idea of sort of what they're going for. It's just they're having the exact same argument. And because they have to deal with all this time travel stuff that forces James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender to retread a lot of the same ground they just did in first class, which sort of makes the characters 
stagnant and instead of seeing them change we get to suddenly see the future versions of them but at least they finally learned something from the x-men animated series which is if you put sentinels in the movie the mutants finally have something to fight you know wolverine can slash up actually wolverine stabs someone in the throat in this movie so I yeah. give it I give it some props for that. And there's like a actual disturbing violence. lack of blood, which is the fact for all. <laughs> oh, of didn't you know movies. you do not bleed out of your neck when you get stabbed by a yeah, bone claw? Yeah, that's what I've learned from not all the seventies. Uh, yeah, not in the seventies. Everything there's was crazy really, drugs. It feels like a wasted opportunity. If you have McAvoy and Fassbender who have great chemistry together, who I loved watching together in first class, and you have Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart who obviously have great chemistry, who spent all of last summer going to Coney Island together in silly hats, like they're this <laughs> wonderful. Duo that is a different movie that again. you're wishing for. <laughs> yes, basically, I want it to be just the four of them, like bopping around in the Wonder Wheel. But I, I mean, there's a serious lack of Ian McKellen. I think Patrick Stewart gets a decent amount enough to do. Ian McKellen doesn't get to do much. And there's just, I think that Magneto and Professor X are really the dynamic that drives all of this. And I don't think that's just me thinking that. I think that's history of comics. Dave, you can back me up and tell me if I'm wrong. And I think that there's so little play off of that tension between the future and the past. And the way that these two people kind of come together and split apart and form the way that all of this history works. And that dynamic is to me the heart of everything and why I liked first class so much and why this felt like such a jumble to me. Yeah. I think it's really lacking a putting the team together aspect that a lot of the X-Men movies have found success in because he is putting the team together, but it's like a three person team And none of those are the people that are really like flashy about their powers with the exception of Magneto. Michael Fassbender does another great job of looking like he's actually using mutant powers when he's not in this movie. Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like the difference between his Magneto and Ian McKellen's Magneto shows why Michael Fassbender is the superior Magneto. It's like the Whoa. difference between a flick of the wrist and like a it's vein so coming out. It's so funny that you said that because actually I wrote something for Vanity Fair that will probably be up this week that uh, I, I said he channels, he channels the spirit of Leonard Bernstein composing. <laughs> like that's how he moves his arms when he's magnetoing. He, he is like conducting an orchestra as opposed to Ian McKellen who kind of just waves his hands up and down like he's doing a sleight of hand trick. Uh, but I also – you. It's funny, I don't want to downplay how important that is to my enjoyment of the movies. Now, I get hung up on hands a lot in in performance, <laughs> and this sounds silly, but, like, how much does it matter that um, that Fassbender is performing this like he's he's in a stage play, that this is an epic character? He He understands that fundamentally, and his movement portrays that. And I think McAvoy does, too. Like, when McAvoy holds his hand against his his temple to do his professor x telepathy power that is fantastic that's something i like get chills when i see him do it on screen and it's a very little thing but like that's what it takes to make to sell this movie and to make it more dynamic when all the powers are invisible um and that really i feel the clash between those two guys when that happens and it's more successful than when like nicholas hout goes beast on magneto's ass like that that fight doesn't do as much well, for Nicholas me. Holt gets robbed in eight different ways in this movie. Yeah, I mean what you're talking about is like I don't I wouldn't commit anybody uh, I mean there are very few people who are phoning it into this X-Men movie even though you would think a lot of people would like Hugh Jackman, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender all fully committed. Jennifer Lawrence, kind of hard to tell under the makeup, but seems to be. <laughs> she fully is committed. barely in this movie. This movie She's could have been completely her years. stunt double. Seriously, it's a yeah, little disappointing. And it's weird. She doesn't. Uh, uh, no, I don't want to get into that. That's like a body image thing. We don't need to deal with it. Um, like Halle Berry is doing her best work as Storm that she since she has since X One. What? She has maybe She does one nothing line in dialogue? this movie, Dave. Exact exactly. Wow. Making Storm a major part of the X-Men for X3 was horrible. Letting her sleep with Wolverine was horrible. But I don't <laughs> Wait, think when did take... she sleep with Wolverine? In X3? I don't remember that at all. Maybe that was so a... you're saying I don't Maybe that was a dream that Dave had. <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to say. The people who understand these X-Men characters are really bringing their all to it, and I don't think I would slight that, but it's great 
I, I, I don't know. It's great to see them, you know, to see Michael Fassbender realize he's playing like a Hitler on the border and sort of co- fully commit to that. But the movie doesn't give people like Evan Peters much to do with Quicksilver. He does the maximum amount that you can do with the Quicksilver character. But it's just sort of there so they could use ultra high speed photography. Well, it's definitely uh, yeah. he has a great scene. He it's has definitely a movie of moments, movie. and and the Quicksilver moment is huge. Yeah, right. That but Quicksilver I, moment is the best one. It's a, but it's interesting because you have those sort of people. So I don't know if Omar Sy as Bishop was like really committing to the character or not because he's just this guy that has to shoot a big gun. Yeah, it's a, it's the weird. It's it's a weird thing for an X-Men movie because like usually you see them pile on all these mutants and then try to like use all their powers and in this one you have complete characters like Toad that we see but he's like the Roland Emmerich reaction shots for later in the movie he's not really in it to use his Toad powers well he does have that one action scene Toad's the guy who wears the goggles no I know but has he been in a movie before this yeah he was in in X-Men the original he was played by Ray Park A.K. Darth Jesus. Maul. You guys are really asking me to like that's that's the thing. No, you don't need to this. know. Well, this is like rebooting that but character. You kind with, of do. No, you don't you need to know of, Toad. This but, movie is kind of asking you to be caught up on everything since the first X Men, which was fifteen years ago. There are people who which can means you had plenty of time movie. to do it. No, but there are people who are 15 years old who were born the year the first X-Men came out who have never seen it who are going to go see this and be asked to remember what happened in it. And I don't think that's fair. That see, is fair. I think that they have when Transformers. You, when you no. slot uh, it into the grand picture of X-Men, this is going to be like the comma and everyone's going to remember like First Class and Apocalypse as being part of a series and all the other X-Men movies being a part of a series. And this will be like one of those weird... You know, this will be King Kong versus Godzilla <laughs> that you watch because it's just like they really decided to do this. And for what it's worth, they kept a lot more of the original comics plot than they thought they were going to with Mystique going after a politician. Yeah, she's and blah, basically blah, blah, blah. the MacGuffin of the movie. I kind of dug I'm that. I'm so glad they kept the original comics plot. That meant a lot to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying it's interesting as opposed to something like Spider-Man 2, which even isn't even really concerned about keeping to a comics plot that X-Men does. But then just feels like this weird Katie, mishmash. I want I want to hear more about why the movie doesn't end up working for you. Like even in the moment, let's set aside the history. I mean, like no, we know we know that there's it. a drive for them to solve a problem. It doesn't matter like where the X Men of the future came from. I mean they spell it out. There's fucking giant robots attacking them, and it's post apocalyptic. No, solve the it's problem. Is that to me, it was a lot of talk of being like, well, things in the past 10 years have been terrible. And you're told over and over again that everyone has suffered so much since the last movie that we saw. You don't see any of it. You don't feel any of it. You see, you mean Professor X is this drug addict and you don't totally get why he's so upset. You don't really get why Mystique has turned into this crazy vigilante, especially since she's still so obviously like anytime Charles speaks to her, she's like automatically brought to her knees by him and when when he calls her Raven. Like that part of her split personality doesn't feel like it should have happened. Over 10 years. It's I been do, a long time. I do buy McAvoy the drug addict, the heroin addict, more than I do Mystique kind of on the run being a badass. Um, Basically, it doesn't feel like it should have been 10 years since the actions of the last movie that we saw. And they keep talking about it as if so much has changed them, but it never really feels authentic. So then when you've got anything character driven for the rest of the movie, it never felt earned to me, including when you're watching Magneto kind of, you you know, you do these various things you're like okay what's Magneto up to and his motivations remain so mysterious to you for so long and it's really his master plan doesn't make a whole lot of sense I'm actually his master, his master plan doesn't make any to, sense to, to and you're actively kept out of it it's kind of like he's wearing that helmet to keep you out and adjusting to Professor X and Professor X is doing he's so he's doing so little he's such a reactive character and he's really the only character who you are you know what's going on with him otherwise it's Magneto and Mystique who are kind of these mysterious other elements so there's just all this time of being like wait what's happening who's trying Dinklage trying to do what's been happening in the 60s and then in the future in the or in the present or whenever where you know Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart are there's just nothing happening it just felt so like marking time until we get to the next action sequence and some of them are good some of them were fine but Overall, I just didn't feel like I felt that spark that made me so excited to see all these people together in X-Men First Class. Yeah, because they weren't really together. I think that's... Yeah. 
the bait. I mean, you're switch. saying McAvoy and Fassbender have this great chemistry, and they do in the one scene they get to share together. Well, what do you think about Dinklage in this movie, who He's is playing fine. this villain guy? But I keep thinking, well, I'd rather just watch him in the next Game of Thrones on Sunday yeah. night because he's uh, Tyrion is so well-rounded and piercing. Well, it's good to see him not with a bad English accent, but otherwise... You think his uh, English accent is really terrible on Game of Thrones? Yeah, don't you? No, I think it's very fantastic. Dave? <laughs> um, expert. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to talk about Game of Thrones? I was going to talk about Peter Dinklage in this movie. <laughs> right, you can talk about that. That's probably more Peter applicable. English's English accent is not my favorite. Yeah, he plays it really blank, which is fine because it's not over-the-top evil, but it also makes it harder to tell when it's not actually Bolivar Trask, which is always something that bothers me about X-Men movies with Mystique, that she can adapt, like personal tics and like close family members at a certain point she just mimics his the front of the tip of his finger yes because how somehow, does she know these things how does that power by looking work at him it? she knows the curls <laughs> of his thumbprint yes enough to fool anyway that's not supposed to be something she's supposed to be able to do i mean not really she sort of just looks like it it's but let's not get in discussion of mystique's <laughs> powers in the in the comic book it's just um <clears throat> I like what Peter Dinklage is doing, but it doesn't need to be him. I guess the best thing that they did was cast him and then not talk about the fact that he was a little person, even though that's obviously the little person makes a giant like robot is the reason they cast him. Well, actually, yeah, there's a great wait, wait, visual. Wait, really? There's a great visual of that in the film when Mystique. Um, she she sneaks into his office and you see this poster of him helping a crippled child and he's like lower than and being them. a giant. I thought that no, was, I thought that was very provocative and that's like the whole movie in a nutshell. I don't think they cast him because he was a little person. I think they cast him because he's Peter fucking Dinklage. Right, but I'm I mean they but rather than like fully on acknowledging it in like a winking way that is the maximum amount of theme this movie is bringing to the table yeah it it doesn't have a lot to say and which is disappointing but i think like you said dave um it's repeating what all the x-men movies have have said in the past just this kind of like gay rights metaphor about yeah. being the same as everyone like and being yeah, it's gay do you feel like that gay rights metaphor is there though it's not gay rights. It's just it's just the under, just like the I think, shunned, well, the well, I think in the first Singer films, it's more pronounced, especially yeah, in X two, where the the scene where they recruit a, Bobby yeah. is Obviously definitely in X two. It's there, but I don't think in this it's here at all. Well, it's it's just man versus mutant. It's it's the expansive version of that metaphor. But the problem with X Men for me is that they never. And this is not the case with the comics because there's all sorts of crazy villains in the comic books, but they've never had a villain. And they 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 cling to Stryker, who is the guy who turned Wolverine into adamantium-clad Wolverine back in X2, and he was in Wolverine Origins, and and he's again in this movie because they can't get rid of Stryker. They need Stryker because he's, like, the prominent figure in this mythology, and... I was disappointed. Well, I, I think Josh Hellman, who plays this character, um, is quite dapper and he's quite good in the movie and he's intriguing. And you could see him becoming a. He'll be back for more movies. That's all. Let me put it that way. Um, but I wish that wasn't Wolverine's only problem in this movie. Like, why does Wolverine yeah. have to suffer pre traumatic stress disorder um, <laughs> when he sees Stryker for the first time? It's. That's. That's it's pointless. It's actually, I think it's a device to keep him away from action scenes involving Magneto and Mystique. Um, and it gets a little annoying, and it speaks to what you were saying, Dave, that there's no team-up moment in this movie. There's no X-Men team, and that's a little disappointing. And that's what First Class did well. I'll give First Class that. Like, it was nice to see them assemble it and have that origin story again and see them go on a mission together. Uh, this mission is just... Wolverine, Magneto, and McAvoy. Like, even Nicholas Holt. What happens to him at the end of this movie? Who knows? And who cares? Because he's such a non-presence throughout this thing. It's unbelievable how marginalized Nicholas Holt is in this movie. And same with uh, Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique, who really has no mm. purpose. I would still argue with you about Jennifer Lawrence, because she still has the big moment. 
she has she's the hinge on which the entire movie eventually operates and she's got the if there's any emotion to the movie she has it i'm incredibly surprised they did not bring any rebecca romaine stamos uh flashbacks or scenes <laughs> they already played that card in the but, uh, first class right, right. but hear me out if the difference here is about like every choice we make affects our future then part of what's happening is they're realizing Jennifer Lawrence is not the kind of actress you spin off into her own movies as a villain. So Mystique's getting rehabbed. Mm-hmm. And so I was really very weird to me that we were supposed to accept this choice that she has to make without seeing how her future self ended up getting cured and probably ended up super bitter in X3. But her future self is now, I mean... Let's get into spoilers before we talk about her future self. But I, I, I want to mention one thing before we sound the spoiler gong. I, I just wanted to talk about what Brian Singer brings to this movie. Um, I think there's a lot of people who hate on Brian Singer for not really bringing anything to any of his movies. Uh, but I, I seem to be a fan of many of his films, so I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, I was into the action in this movie, especially the future stuff where it's Sentinels kind of descending upon this futuristic pagoda fortress um, and watching all these mutants kind of combine powers to see how they can avert crisis. Uh, But that's really the only intriguing thing. Plus the Quicksilver scene, this like super slow motion set to a hilarious song. Um, That's that's I, I can't really think of anything else. This movie does not have a style. I would no, say. no, and I and don't it, know why he hasn't he hasn't learned how to shoot all these powers effectively yet. I mean, granted, the opening really? scenes are thrilling for yeah. what they are, but it, they're really jarring in terms of how he shoots what's going on. Like towards even towards the end of the movie, he gets he starts shooting the portals in a coherent, better stance. But like you get dropped in this movie. And if you don't know who these mutants are or who's fighting who, there's going to be like the first three minutes are going to be complete madness. Oh, yeah. I mean, I watch all these mutants and I'm like, why am I supposed to care about this dude with the black eyeliner all over his face? You're supposed face? to care about anybody in Jeopardy. You're a human. I, I get that. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I don't understand who he is or what he does or the what? woman who... Uh, Shoots the portals into space so see, people jump through. The only two we know are Iceman and Kitty Pride, and you don't see them until like after the first two or three minutes of the movie. And they're yeah. running, they're running. So it's like, who um, is that Kitty Pride? But, but they have an am- there's an amazing moment in that sequence. I really admire something that Singer does, which is they're in the midst of this fight, uh, and yet he takes a second to shoot Sean Ashmore, give him a close-up as Bobby as Iceman, uh, making eye contact with slow-mo running Kitty Pride, Ellen Page. And again, this is only if you know the movies. Uh, it's it's kind of a ballsy move uh, because other people are going to be like, are they hatching a plan? Like, what are they doing? Why are they making eye contact, prolonged eye contact for a second? And it's really because they're kind of in love maybe they aren't who knows what's going on like there's a relationship there there's romance you know they're they're gravitating towards each other in the in the heat of battle and i thought that was really intriguing because we later learn rogue is dead because uh, she's not around we assume everyone who's not there is dead oh, and right. Wait, I there was this whole lingering thing from x3 last stand about them having a romance and it's definitely there it's definitely in the text of this film that they are together and they shared this kind of like weird moment in the middle of this tragic battle. I think you're bringing a shot of your two recognizable actors in your opening scene with your knowledge of X3 into meaning, which is fine, but that's oh, no. how I started this well, conversation because it's like it's weird for a movie to do that, right? The joy the joy of this moment is I definitely confirmed this with the screenwriter, so I'm not I'm not crazy. Oh, <laughs> oh. Names. I was happy to confirm that moment, but I just find that kind of filmmaking I mean that that is next level stuff, but it's really it is. it's it's you need to see the other movies. I don't know if that means it's successful. You wish it could be self-contained in some way, or at least set that up 
in a way that anyone could digest that moment. But no, you really need no, to see X Men: no. The Last Stand, a shitty, shitty movie. It's, that's the thing is, like I've been told for so long never to bother seeing X Three and seeing this movie. I was like, oh, you didn't see X Three? Well, you're not going to get any of this, and well, that bugged the shit out of me. This is very vengeful against X Three, which now, I think now. Means we need to hit the spoiler gong. <laughs> all right, let's hit the spoiler gong, and then we'll get into all of this. <laughs> I think this movie was made to make Brett Ratner cry. Oh my god. Well, no, well, it's going to pour salt on the wound that will be Hercules down the road. But uh, Wait, what does Hercules have to do with anything? He, Brett Ratner directed it, and I can't see a world where that movie is successful. So Oh, fair enough. Okay, everybody has laughed at the truth. You leave the rock alone. Sorry. Anyway, but it's like, this movie is like doesn't even mention X-Men Origins long enough to unwrite it. <laughs> and but it does significantly lean on X3 and then makes a big point of showing basically only living X3 characters. That is definitely cuz Kinberg coding. wrote both. That is 100% because it's they share a screenwriter. What instead of what? What do you mean? Well, like why doesn't it even bother with undoing X-Men Origins or talk about it at all because the writer of Days of Future Past regrets The Last Stand because he did it. He failed. Okay, if that but makes sense. a lot of people regret things they do. They don't get a multi-million dollar movie <laughs> to apologize for it. That's true, but this is a different case. I would like a multi-million dollar movie to apologize for myself. You could, you could have Alan Cummings show up. You could have other rad. new mutants show up. You could have... You do have other new, new mutants show up. Not in the scene I'm talking about, the very end. Well, why, anyway. why don't we get there? What are, what are you talking about exactly here? Okay, so uh, the weird thing about this movie is after the whole climax happens where God knows what happens at the White House or what's supposed to happen at the White House. Nixon doesn't die. Nixon doesn't Ni- die. Nixon. Well, <laughs> no, well, not just Nixon. Bolivar Trask doesn't die. No that's one, true. No one dies. <laughs> you just salt at the White House. Including Wolverine. That, that's amazing. I, I really thought, and in the beginning, they tease you. I mean, there's so many people in the cast. Someone will die, right? I mean, that's what we're trained to know. Someone will die. And not only does no one die... People come back to life. (laughs) I just think that's amazing. That's the big twist of X-Men, that no one dies, only life blossoming. Wolverine wakes up and sees a Kelsey Grammer beast and a Femke Jansen, Jean Grey, and Scott Summers, Cyclops, cool actor guy. I can't remember his name now. (laughs) James Marsden. Thank you, James Marsden. Jubilee should have walked out. That would have been a real... Or just anybody else. Anybody that was... Sorry for X3. Da, 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 da. Never going to see these characters again. That was it. That is. Wait, you don't it. think we're ever going to see them again? We're done with everybody except maybe Wolverine. Wait, Those... you don't think Jean Grey is going to come back? What does Famke Jansen have to do? Well, oh, no, I mean, these people will come back. Come back, but she's going to come back in her 80s younger version. It's not going to be Famke Jansen. So oh, okay. going to have those characters. That's also what they're announcing. It's like, hey, we're going to get to do Cyclops and Jean Grey this is, over. This is your spec- speculation talking. This is what Lauren Schuldotner has outlined on red carpets at X-Men Days of Future Past. <laughs> so they've effectively done a Star Trek where they're like, these characters are back and you don't know if they're going to die because we've completely changed history. It doesn't matter if they're going to die because it's comic books. They did a reboot like a comic book does, except this movie really commits to it in a way that is weird. Like, I don't know if people realize that when X-Men Apocalypse comes out, that that was, you know, the last time we see Magneto, he's on a, or Ian McKellen's Magneto, he's on a floor with a piece of metal stuck into him and you're still 20 minutes away from the climax of the movie. It does kind of suck. No more Ian McKellen. (laughs) Yeah, that does suck. So it's it was interesting to see that, and um, I mean, it feels weird that Hugh Jackman's going to carry on. They're going to have to find a way to replace him eventually. But yeah, because Wolverine's not supposed to age, which is he get, does have Hugh a Jackman son lo- in the comic books. Hugh Jackman looks great, but he has to age at some point. I actually thought they were going to kill him in this movie. Uh, I I got Nick Furyed again this year um, when when Wolverine is. What happens to him? Magneto puts the side of him so he could shoot him into the rip. Yeah, he puts the bars in him, and he's at the bottom of the ocean. I'm like, there's no way that Wolverine can heal from this. This is not a 
healing problem, right? Well, no, I guess it is, because he lives. He can heal from drowning. Much like with Nick Fury, uh, <laughs> as a comic reader, I was never worried for Wolverine. You can't be worried for Wolverine. Okay, there's one more Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie yet. He has to get burned down to his skeleton and grow back from his skeleton, because that's all that's left to do with this incarnation of Wolverine. We've done the getting shot in the face. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going off top. <laughs> he, he survived a nuclear bomb. The weird thing, according to this movie, is that the main climax of the film is for the cast that is basically not in this film. And that's what felt really weird for me, is by making Wolverine the main character, the climax we care about most is that he saves the future, and we're not going to see any of those people again as those characters. Well, I mean, I cared about Mystique, and I cared about her. Yeah, you don't think the the finale works when he puts... I mean, first off... The whole moving the stadium around the White House thing is pointless. <laughs> it's so annoying. I watched him uproot that stadium. I was like, what are you doing? Why it's are you cool. doing this? I mean, it's kind of cool. It's really annoying not to know what, what Magneto is up to because he's no, the only is. character doing anything. It's amazing how little we've talked of the Sentinels in this review oh, because yeah. they're supposed they're to complete- be so important. They're that, so irrelevant. That's why he moved the stadium is so he could make them literal sentinels on a wall. Like, that's the only reason that happened. This movie doesn't go beyond that. There's a short dude that made giant robots because he sort of feels inadequate genetically. And Magneto had to move a stadium to make sentinels literal sentinels just in case the audience missed the part where they talked about old sentinels on the Citadel. So it's like, I don't know. It's a really weird movie because it's very familiar to me as a comic book fan because these sorts of reboots happen all the time. And it's actually a kind of a skillful way to do it. It just is weird as somebody who enjoys blockbuster movies to see one that, unlike the Avengers, where this is a culmination of characters that you could get to know better, it's like so much of this plot depends on you having a pre-existing emotional connection to what mm-hmm. characters that basically has nothing to do unless yeah. are all coming to this movie specifically for Michael Fassbender. Your character probably has nothing to do, but maybe, I mean, that's a legit reason to like it, right? Like I can enjoy this movie on that level and oh, yeah. Katie can dislike it. And that seems reasonable. It's not that's a bad not movie. It's just a movie made for a smaller audience. It <sighs> Trouble functioning on a large scale like something like Godzilla does where it's just fun to watch because your investment if you're just coming to see the action there isn't a lot of stuff that I would say like come just to see the Quicksilver scene like sure I guess that's fun right that'll be on YouTube in like a week after the movie comes out anyway yeah we don't live in a world where you have to see a movie just for the big scene yeah, I'm surprised we made it through marketing without them showing that scene. Oh, you really. can't, you can't give it away. That's a po- That's a week after release. YouTube anyway, video. So you, were you about to call it a poem? It's a poem. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the scene is a poem, or the movie the, is a poem? The scene. The, but the scene is a stanza, and the movie is a poem. It <laughs> doesn't function really as a self-contained story because no. the middle part franchise pivoting movie, much like. Captain America 2 and Amazing Spider-Man 2 have been. But I enjoyed Captain America 2 so much because I guess it just had a more limited school from which I was supposed to have knowledge. Like, I didn't need to know that much more beyond the Avengers, which everyone in the world saw. And X2 just felt like a quiz. It felt like I was trying to, like, be tested on all the mutants who I didn't necessarily remember from movies that came a decade ago. Yeah, that's going to be a huge problem with this movie. It's and the BuzzFeed Which X-Men Are You quiz, but it's the adaptation of that into live action. Yeah, I mean, the X-Men I Am is the one who wants to watch Fassbender and McAvoy yell at each other and then love each other at They the get time. those moments. The chess scene is great. See, that, I, will, I will take first class any day over all of those because it lets those characters... But they also the have the scene where they bust something. Magneto out of the prison in the Pentagon. I mean, McAvoy punches sure, him in the face. Are you forgetting sure, that's that? Part of, that's part of the Quicksilver scene. I'll, I'll take all of that and I'll take the plane. Basically, give me the first 45 minutes of this movie and then I'll, then I'll leave. I mean, I think that this movie could end up being very successful because I don't know how many people saw the five prerequisite movies but supposedly enough for them to think this was a good idea so like if you want to see Hugh Jackman's butt come on down to X-Men Days of Future Past 
looks good. And Michael Fassbender's chest. You know yeah. what's so weird about this movie? That they reference the cameo in First Class. They reference Wolverine's cameo. That really... They do. For some reason, that rubbed me the wrong way. Like, let that be. That's a funny moment. But to bring it up and incorporate it into the character arcs... I don't, that, that, I don't know why. That I guess it's all fair. Well, I mean, that let me ask, didn't before, do it for me. ask you, Mr. Patches, before I yeah. spout on a rock. Did you talk to the writer about how much of this story pre-existed before he came on board? Uh, he wrote the whole thing. The, uh, yes, I did, actually. And it's all from his treatment. Everything happens. Um, everything is straight from his brain to page, which means it always was supposed to end with Jean Grey and Cyclops and Beast are all back at the end. That makes sense, but I heard that uh, Matthew Vaughn's original treatment, like the Magneto JFK bullet bending, would have been like the beginning of Act Two, and then he eventually would have ended up in the Pentagon jail. So that I do not know. That I do not know. But actually, speaking to that moment, I found that very that that kind of uh, moved me in a way to hear that he was not. I mean, you buy that he would assassinate JFK. But then to hear that GFK is a mutant and that he did not kill him, he was trying to save him. That, I would see That's that really intriguing. Just that premise and not have to deal with this Hugh Jackman goes back in time thing because I'm still on board with the first class cast. And then exactly. I, let's do these as like crazy period spy films, which I, exactly. I hope they return to because I would love to see. There's no getting smaller from here. That's the only issue. Oh, that's the problem. It, it is, went, it, it went it so is fast after their really nice, neat, small reboot. And you have all sorts of like weird setup. Like why is Mystique impersonating Stryker at the end of this movie? And what does that mean? Like, I mean, why Why does this have to be? When Mystique has been alive? so unimportant to the whole thing, like, when, I think Jennifer Lawrence seriously has, like, ten lines in this movie. It makes absolutely no sense. And yet she is a fundamental part of whatever is going forward. Because she's the biggest star. It's only concerning to me because this team is the same team working on X-Men Apocalypse, but in, like, a amazing world where this gives them the freedom to refocus on the franchise... A movie of the X-Men in the 80s, when the X-Men were as popular as they were in the 80s, has so many great possibilities for stories to tell, for characters to bring in, for commentary on the crazy period of 80s comic books. It just seems like it's really rich, and I don't want them to be all bogged down. Who cares what stories they could adapt from the comics? Seriously, because that I mean, the success of X Men the animated series and the success of the previous X Men films, which I will go to bat for. Um, and no, I haven't seen them in a while, so maybe X Two is terrible. That's the new talking point of the internet this week. Um, but like, these are not relying on ripping from the pages of source material like Days of Future Past does. And I think that's what's to gain. First Class is the same way. It's an amalgamation of what's happened in the comics and the creator's own uh, wants and desires and storytelling motivation. I feel like we need to see more of that. And I don't really know how you... What's the team going to be like? There's no team at the end of Days of Future Past. What This, this team is in shambles, and they've basically written everybody from first class off. All the kids from the first movie are either dead or they're uh, Lucas Till, who is definitely going to be written out of the series. Like, that scene in the tent in Vietnam is basically there so that he does Why not exist anymore. Because they need to wrap it up. They they need people, they want to wrap the story up for people who cling to first class, but no one gives a shit, right? I can't tell him and Sean Ashmore apart. I mean, Lucas (laughs) might come back if they do, I don't know, they retcon the Psychops brothers. Anyway, it's not important. What I think is it's possible for them to go back and make uh, period uh, X-Men movies that do great things like first class did and like the periods the parts of this movie i think aspire to now they don't have to deal with the future stuff anymore well we we know it's not going to happen because of the stinger on this movie uh, well i mean but that's that's gonna really just left katie distraught apocalypse Uh. i don't know it's another gray-haired kid turns around face the camera go see the movie but it's gonna take place all over again it's gonna take place in the 80s we're in the, the I, I think building the pyramids in the 80s 
No, he's no. going to be like resurfaced in the eighties. Well, it yeah, might he, not. It might not be the eighties. You don't know. I think it's the eighties. Probably. I, th- I think the next movie is going to come in the eighties. We're going to see the reintroduction of more classic characters. Like hopefully now we can get an angel. Hopefully now we could get a Cyclops, Jean Grey. Maybe they'll build the original team for the first time, the real first class. I would be interested in seeing that. It doesn't involve Wolverine. It's perfectly doable. And then we'd have a real villain. There's a possibility that this movie was just a pivot movie. And if it was, it was a fine pivot movie. Would but was it a fine movie? With- <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, I, I did enjoy it. Despite- than any- do you think it's better than anything other than X3? Well, and uh, X-Men Origins. Well, it's Wolverine. better than X-Men Origins. Or, yeah. um, okay. I mean, it's been so long since I've watched X-Men or X2. Uh, it might be better than X-Men. I mean, X-Men was so important to this wave of superhero comic book filmmaking. It was really like testing it out. Bible. Um, yeah, it was just a test. Uh, I don't know if it's a great movie or not x2 you know there's people on either side of the line on that one yeah but i i okay, I, I enjoyed it more than first class i would say honestly that's crazy to me i would not take this over winter soldier i oh. would take it over spider-man 2 i like spider-man yeah. 2 more <laughs> me as well all right well we're all over the we're house. the crazies they know yeah. people know already uh, do you, what, do you want me to fast but my next X-Men movie? Do, do you, you, you were about to rank you rank them all, so it goes what? Cap, X-Men, Amazing Spider-Man 2? For the for the year so far? For the year's superhero movies yeah. so far? Uh, yeah, Cap, X-Men, uh, Spider-Man 2. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm we'll, I'm I'm Cap, Spider-Man, X-Men, Days of Future Past. Well, we'll see you guys in August. For the one that doesn't have if, to continue the story. That I God, I if, if that and movie yet it does will. not end with a purple alien, I'll be so happy. I mean, but he's gonna be part of the actual ending of the movie, not the post credits stinger. That's actually fine, just so long as I understand who he is and what importance he has in the uh, world. In true fine. summer blockbuster tradition, we're getting ahead of ourselves and talking about movies that are coming out months from now. Let's talk about Dawn of Justice. No, <laughs> wrap this segment up immediately. <laughs> X-Men, Days of Future Past. Go see it, maybe. Uh, I'm going to claw claw up. Patches, give me the two-minute pitch on Blended. Oh, my God. Um... (laughs) Now you're you're conjuring up my post-traumatic stress disorder as opposed to Wolverine's pre-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> um, not as bad as Grown Ups Two, I would say. I would put. I would argue Grown Ups Two is better than Grown Ups. So wow, um, why? Because of Taylor Lautner? Probably. Pretty we much. argued about this when we saw no, it. Ta- uh, Grown Ups Two is is so much worse than Grown Ups. Just a, a travesty. Whereas um, Blended is. A catastrophic event um, lessened by the inherent chemistry of Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. I will say it exists. They can be charming people. Um, But you can't have a movie that deals with the grieving process of the death of a loved one who died of cancer um, and pair it with rhinoceroses fucking each other like that's you can't have those two things be side by side it just doesn't work or like dealing with your daughter talking to her dead mother as if she's there sitting next to her and then follow it up with Shaquille O'Neal doing a belly dance these things do not mix and blended does does not blend (laughs) if you wow. will uh it's it's horrific it's actually a really really terrible movie and there's a glimmer of hope towards the end when adam sandler and drew barrymore's chemistry is finally able to kind of unearth itself and adam sandler can play a great dad and drew barrymore can play a really inspiring mother figure but uh i had huge problems with this movie they go to africa and it's clearly i mean this Are is they a, in a specific country in africa, they're in south africa they're continent? they're basically okay. at this like super they're at a disney resort essentially whatever this disney resort they're at 
um, where they never go outside. They barely go into real Africa. They're kind of like the the version of Africa they go to is full of pools and daycares and buffet dinners and dancing. And it's like, is this a real place? No, it's Disneyland. Uh, and the way that they portray Africa would be offensive to me um, if, you know, even, even Ladysmith Black Mombazo's spin-off boy band Junior Mombazo makes an appearance with Terry Crews, which actually is the best part they sing. And they're they're basically the Greek chorus of Blended. Wait, wait, um, wait. You started this sentence with, it would be offensive to me if... Yeah. No, well, no. I was going to say that all of this would be offensive. Like seeing Terry Crews do an African, a South African accent, singing with Junior Mombazo, like doing his best Mabumbe. It's all pretty offensive. Except I, I, it's glossed over by how offensive the heteronormativity agenda is in this movie. It's really about like every family needs a dad and every family needs a mom and this is how everyone gets along like your kids are going to be fucked up if they don't have a father figure teaching them how to play baseball and your daughters are going to get fucked up if it's just a single dad because uh, no one knows what a period is uh it's just a that really troubles me about this movie and um, i can't even begin to approach how africa is portrayed and disgraced in this film and yet there's a slight uh, just a sliver of it that makes sense that's kind of like parenthood like a gentler more tender filmmaker than frank karachi who directed the water boy um someone could have a handle on this material that would actually be good. Sandler's a good performance. So is Barrymore, but this is not the movie to do that. And it's one of the strangest films. I mean, if you dare to go see this movie in the movie theaters, um, you'll, you'll see that the first 20 minutes or you'll hear, I should say the first 20 minutes, uh, do not have a soundtrack to them, which you wouldn't expect to be so strange, except there's all these like quote unquote funny scenes that would have, interstitial music to kind of bounce it along and all you hear is like an air conditioning in the background and i couldn't tell if it was from the theater i was seeing it in or if it was like room tone but it's so so disturbing uh it's very very unsettling so. it sounds like the production values of jack and jill or uh most other so much worse movies. somehow it doesn't sound like an experience you would elect to put yourself through well here's another question i have for you then. a lot of people would mm. What was this week like? What was this week's lightning round question? Oh, in honor of blended, what two actors would you like to see together in a good movie for a change? Dave, how about you? Besides Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, I would suspect, right? Yes, I'm going to go with frequent lightning round responder Jesse Carp, who says Christian Bale and Tom Hardy, because yeah, I don't know what that movie would be about pecs and sweaters i would feel like would make a good subject matter and justice patches let's see i'm gonna go with nicole arbusto at arbusto nicole uh who said how about malkovich and mirin who were in red and red 2 but i think they could be in like a great mike lee film together i feel like they just have a lot they could just talk endlessly and i would be i would tune into that and i'm gonna go with duncan house who says i want scarlett johansson and julianne moore to dig their nails into each other in something less evasive than don john i've complained about don john on this podcast that movie drives me crazy and i kind of agree i want those two ladies to be in something together i don't know what exactly i don't want it to be chloe do you ever see that julianne Mm. moore and Amanda Seyfried movie. I don't want it to be that. Adam Magoya, not on a great run right not now, on based a great on can reception of captives. Yeah. But let's give us Carl Johansson and Julianne Moore. Like, I mean, they just let them remake. Uh, it's complicated, and then have her be Julianne Moore's daughter. I don't, I don't know, know if Someone dig their nails into each other fits that description, but I, you know, honestly, anything that allows them to share screen time that sounds fun. So. I suppose that does it for this week's <laughs> fighting in the war room. I was trying to cope with the joke real bad, guys. It did not happen. I know you it's were. Better, I, I, I appreciate your efforts. Uh, we'll be back next week. What are we reviewing next week? Probably Maleficent, unless oh, we can find something better to review, because I can't imagine. Well, I don't want to prejudge. I have. You know what? I think we reviewed Snow White and the Huntsman, so we may as well keep our streak alive. Keep the fairy tale uh, going. There we go. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. 
I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet, and I put all my work at mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and that's it. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA70. That's also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news and Star Wars spoilers at latino-review.com. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. But there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. Looked around enough to know that you're the one I want to go through time with.